everybody. Welcome to episode 27 of Tunes Me. I'm Mark. And I'm Ray. And today, Ray caught up with artist Kasumi. She is not only a filmmaker, a VJ, but she recently also created an app that merges in music along with art. And it was really cool to catch up with her and talk about how music, how essential it is when you're creating a film and even putting it behind a video because a lot of what she does is she'll start with the music and then build video on top of it and really use it as the way to present art and really deliver a message. And I know we've talked about that a lot about delivering stories through art, but that's essentially what she does. And it was really interesting to talk with an actual filmmaker and get her insight on how she creates music and her process and how it all works together. Yeah, it's fascinating stuff. You know, you think about movies, think about your favorite films. If not for the score, a lot of the emotional investment in the film is not there. Try watching a, a movie without the sound on and that score being missing. And, you know, you might like it. There are things you might find interesting. You can certainly then focus on other aspects of the film if you want to focus on cinematography or mise-en-scene or something like that. But, you know, in terms of that experience, music is fundamental to it. You know, we think about, you know, some of the greatest films of all time, Titanic, the most biggest, most popular anyway, films of all time, Titanic, Star Wars, Jurassic Park, right? All of these have musical elements that go with them. And that that filters right on down through independent film too. the, the really the importance of music. Yeah. And her independent film was Shockwaves and it was released a few years ago and got critical acclaim. And it was interesting to really dive into the process of creating that movie and how she merges everything in. And we got off into a tangent about how she actually started moving into becoming a VJ and mm. going alongside Grandmaster Flash and really doing these large public events. And obviously, currently with you know, the pandemic, things have kind of quieted down. But that idea of public performance and actually merging in live music with video and film and animation mm-hmm. and bringing that to life, that also moves into a whole other echelon of, I guess, public performance. Mm-hmm. You think about, you know, there's a whole field of study called performance studies. They, we study it in uh, communication and cultural studies and theater, crosses over a number of fields. And, and that's part of it, right? Thinking about how, I mean, there's various elements of it, but thinking about how we perform in public. And so like you mentioned, that public performance, we can think about in terms of the world of art, public performance has a long history of uh, significance there, and especially as a sort of an avant-garde style and a, a, a boundary-breaking style. That idea of what can we do that pushes the envelope of what we think of as art. And in this case, we can even think about it as Maybe it's not, you know, whether it's pushing the envelope or what we think of as art is, you know, maybe one thing, but how we think about different art forms in different ways as separate. So we think of visual art, we think of um, motion picture art, we think of music art, we think of body art, we, you know, th- there's any number of categories. And then we get the, the merging of those and the way that we think, well, why does this have to be separate from this? And so public performance becomes one very important and creative space for bringing together 
those different types of art into connection with one another into to sort of bigger art pieces that ask us to, to rethink those boundaries. And, and not just that, but think about what each of these forms contributes on its own and how they build upon one another. And again, that goes right back to the whole significance of music to film. You know, we think of film as a visual art, but you think a lot of people at least think about it that way, at least primarily, right, as a visual art. I watch a movie, but you listen to a movie. And so it demonstrates, again, just how significant music is even alongside visual art. Yeah. Well, I can't wait for everyone to listen to this interview with Kasumi and understand her process and really the meaning and how important it is that music connects directly with film and everything that she's doing. So let's just get right to the interview. And when we come back, we'll wrap up the episode. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Tunes Made. And today I am honored to have Kasumi. Not only is she an artist, but she directs short and feature length films, a VJ. I mean, you do it all. How are you, Kasumi? I'm exhausted. No, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm really good. Did I explain exactly everything? Because I really always have a hard time trying to describe what others do. How would you describe your practice and what you do as an artist? Wow. Well, my practice evolves constantly. And I think as a human, I think that's a good thing. As an artist, maybe it's not the best thing because people tend to think of an artist as one style or one thing. And I like to try new things all the time. So for example, so I started out as a classical musician, but then I got involved in writing and filmmaking and then got really interested in electronic music. You know, just everything is an evolution for me. Mm -hmm. And I do feel that it's like the idea that life itself is, you know, we're all kind of connected. So art in my eyes is something that is just a way to express your ideas, your, you know, your thoughts and grievances or happiness or whatever, you know, you want to say, but you can do it in any form. So, boy, that was a long-winded. <laughs> no, that's cool. Well, what's interesting is, so just thinking about what you've done your body of work so you could just go to imdb you can see all the films that you've done i know you've done music and there's been a lot of accolades throughout your career i went back i was on imdb and i went back and i watched the free speech zone oh my god that's an ancient film yeah what i liked about it was interesting is so tunes mate we're all about music and trying to get people to break the doldrums of the music they continually listen to every day there's a stat that says at a certain point of our i guess existence we keep listening to the same music over and over again. So the goal is to kind of break you out of that cycle. And I was listening to the free speech zone, even though I know it's eons ago, but the music and the way the film was put together, it seemed like it was going beat on beat to how the music was created. Yes. When you're creating these pieces, do you have the music in mind or what's the creative process to produce something that has a lot of rhythm to it? Well, in several different ways, free speech, Beach Zone. Let's see, that was, um, I did two really big political films during the Bush era, and that was mm -hmm. one of them, and Breakdown was the other. I treated them sort of as quasi-music videos. So they're sort of in that realm in which the music is integral to the, the piece and is super connected. And to make it even more super connected, you want to either cut on beats 
or have action on beat. Like, for example, like a, a finger pointing, like point to the sky. And at that moment that it reaches the top, you have a percussive moment of the music. You know, so everything heightens the music and the image heighten each other, in other words. And I think the best example of that is Shockwaves, which is like a totally, the music and the image are like really linked together. Yeah, let's talk about that. I mean, that oh was boy. I mean, that was a big deal and it still is. I mean, it got a lot of praise. And how did that project come together? Because that seems, I mean, that's, that's a full-on feature. That is a full-on feature, right. Well, that was my Guggenheim proposal, actually. I applied for the Guggenheim in 2010 and that was the, you know, Shockwaves was the actual, it wasn't quite in the same form that I thought, you know, that it came out to be. I have live elements in the proposal and then it just became, you know, it was like untenable to do it. But, um, you know, I got that funding and then for the next five years, that's what I did. So that's how that came about. But it was also, the film itself is sort of, you know, every film I think for a director is like a self-discovery so that's sort of what Shockwaves is. It seemed, while I watched it, it seemed to kind of crescendo and there was a lot of peaks and valleys as you build it. Right, and right. I felt like there were points where you were building to something and then you wanted to get a reaction. And I'm just curious when, now this was a little bit different from from music selection and how you tied it in was the story kind of the first thing that you built and then the music kind of fused into it. Mm -hmm. Well, the music also evolved in a way. There are a couple of chunks of straight music that I got from other people. They said, Hey, you use mm -hmm. my music in any way you want. Mm -hmm. So there are chunks of those, but then there are also lines of dialogue in the movie. And I don't know if, you know, how well you know it, but they're basically two main characters, which I shot, live you know those are that's new footage and the rest of it is all found footage and the only lines of dialogue that are in the movie are from the found footage the other the two live characters are mute they you know they you see them and you see their mm -hmm. actions but you don't hear their words you only like see their thoughts through the found footage and what i did was took the music that was connected to the found footage dialogue you know, someone saying something in a clip, but mm -hmm. unfortunately there's a music on it. And I couldn't undo that because I'm, it's just found footage. I'm not going to the actual source and they're all like, you know, probably not even available anymore, but I would take the, the dialogue and the music and then try to incorporate that music clip through fade in and fade out or repetition or treating that clip in some way so that I can meld it then with the next clip of dialogue, which also had a completely different soundtrack on it. The music, the sound, I should say, in Shockwaves was the hardest part of Shockwaves. That was by far the most challenging, getting the sound to work. You know, because I didn't, I, I hate in the use of found footage when you'll hear when it's a different clip because the sound just cuts off. It's, I feel that that's really awkward and it takes me out of the moment, you know? Well, there were definitely moments in it. It was mesmerizing. And I, it's interesting to, I'd imagine now that it's been a couple of years looking back at it. And is there anything that you had an update to that film that you would do? I think I would shoot a little bit more of the modern footage 
just to have more to choose from. The male actor was actually an actor and he knew what to do with the camera. He really connected with the camera. The woman who just looked awesome. She was just the perfect character. She was a dancer and she wasn't experienced with the camera and she sort of shied away from it. So I would probably coach her more. You know, that would be a big thing. I don't know. I mean, that I worked on it for five years, so it better be. <laughs> hey, well, it's always interesting though. I know from the position of an artist, there's always something that you would like to revise. And I was looking back, our, one of our last podcasts, we started talking about music videos and mm-hmm. how that even though music videos, they can age, some of them have really set the test of time and others have kind of faded away. We talked about even Peter Gabriel, you know, Sledgehammer video was, oh, was off the chart when it came out. Yes. And now the one that especially from the 80s is Aha's Take on Me, which that seems to still kind of resonate because of the way the, the story was powerful. So we started just talking about music videos of all time. And there's been a lot even in the current age where the video has kind of outshined the music itself. Wow. <laughs> you know, the, yeah. some, very, some that are very memorable. From your perspective, I know you're creating music videos. Are there any artists that either you would like to work with or that you've seen videos that you're like, wow, that really was a really good music video? Oh, wow. I know it's a hard one. (laughs) You know, that's a tough choice because what has happened with my, you know, that phase of my career, you know, the music video career is people would get a hold of me out of the clear blue sky. And I maybe didn't know their work that well or... Something like that, even it's not technically music videos, but I would, I've done a lot of stuff with classical music ensembles, for example. I did a Stravinsky's Soldier's Tale a couple of years ago, and it was, you know, it's music video like in that you are making the, the yeah. image to really underscore the music and the meaning of the music. But what I found and what makes me the most happy, I guess is to get something like that, get a gig like that, not knowing the music and then really learning it, learning it and listening to it over and over until I really, I know it internally and then I can express it powerfully with imagery. So I don't have, you know, everything from hip hop to electronic music, everything in between, you know, it, it's a matter of me really diving into the music. And that's what I love. That's really cool. And I think it's interesting that you went back to your roots, classical. I know. It's wild. It's wild. Full but circle. It, it's, hap- it's actually helpful to have been a musician because I can read music and I can really kind of tear it apart that way, you know, on the score and everything. But I love electronic music, you know, as much. So it's like a, a funny, you know, and hip hop. I did a couple hip hop videos, which were awesome. You know, I just loved doing that yeah and i saw recently even a vj so performed with grandmaster flash yes, and DJ Spooky. what was that about oh my god that was a while ago that was actually when i started doing vj that's when yeah. vj software was just coming out i've done a ton since then and i love doing that oh my god vjing is just magical because this one software i use called modulate it's m-o-d-u-l-8 just so it's perfect for my particular kind of footage and my materials. And I can play in real time. You know, no, you know, you don't make a movie and then play it alongside a DJ. You actually are creating the work 
in real time. That's amazing. So it really is a live performance. So you're taking all your your classical musical training, blending it with this electronic beat and video to kind of create this very immersive experience. Indeed, yes. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting. So you've had all these experiences working with other performers, yourself, and then even recently I, I was like, wait a minute, Kasumi's doing software? I saw Shufflehead, so I started looking up that app and that was pretty cool too. So is that a fusion of a dream that you had? Of- yes, yes, and yes. Yes. Wow. So did you play with it? I, ju- I literally just stumbled upon it the other day. and You've got to I- play with it. It is really crazy. It's really crazy. So what it is, there's... Well, I want to hear what you think of it. I want to hear well, your thoughts. Yeah. It seemed to me as though it's a way... It kind of took me back to when I was a kid, I used to have, I can't remember what, I, I know there's something called fashion plates where you can kind of put in different heads and bodies and kind of put them yeah, together. Right. There was something also back in the day or similar, I think it was, you can kind of build your own sketch and then color it in, mm-hmm. but you've made that now electronic and then also added a musical element to it. And then you can go ahead and share it. It's like you can take all those pieces together and make it into something that's your own. And mm-hmm. it seems like there's a lot of different combinations. They said over 4,000 combinations. You can- actually, if you get all the packs, and there's a text element, by the way, there's a story element. Each of the thirds, you know, there's a top, middle, and bottom. So there's a top of the image middle and bottom and every image matches perfectly i the lot everything is just lined up down to the micron and then each of those thirds has a musical top middle and bottom and then it has a text like subject verb and adverbial phrase kind of structure and everything every top can match with any middle and any bottom so if you get all of the packs and they're eight in a shuffle pack and they're kind of themed. There are over a million combinations. It's ridiculous. And you can color them in. So that's that you spin these and then you land on a you know, like a shuffle head that you like and then you go into color mode and color that and then you can share that out. So if you color it, then they're literally infinite possibilities because no one is going to color an image the same way, you know, as a, someone else. So I'm just, I'm counting on my hands, all the things that Kasumi has done. It's amazing that now there's even this app that is reflecting basically creativity and there's a musical factor to it as well, which is... I know. It had to have the music. Of course. (laughs) Had to have it. It's the lifeblood. So that's so cool. So yeah, definitely going to start playing around with that. And there seems to be endless fun with that application and what else do you have? You've got to have something else up your sleeve you're working oh, on. I do. Of course I do. So the other th- so when, let's see, how far were we into COVID? Let's see. The other thing that I spent a lot of time during COVID post-production for the Eric Andre show and gifts for them for the show as well. Do you, are you familiar with that show? No, but I'm, I'm going to have to check it out. Got to look it up. The Eric Andre show. It's on Adult Swim. They're now, they just announced the release of the fifth season, which is fabulous. And. Uh, oh, yes, I have seen that. I, I just yes. I Googled it. That's interesting. Yeah. Eric Andre show is insane. So I just, you know, bunch of work for them. 
And then, you know, I've, of course, I did that music video. There's a group in Germany called the Silent Art Orchestra music video called Slow Motion Virus. I was supposed to go actually to Germany and do live VJ for the release of their album. And then COVID happened, so I couldn't go. So I ended up doing this video. And then in the future, I'll do another, you know, a few more for their album because we are longtime collaborators. And then another thing that was supposed to start in April, but didn't start until June, is a artist residency in a art print facility here. And I started doing silk screens just because. Why not? <laughs> expand, expand your knowledge. I saw on your website that you also, if I'm not mistaken, started selling, was it colored scarves or, or merchandise? Oh. That was a commission from Mocha. They wanted mm. me to design a scarf. And I was like, what? I'd never done any wearable art before. And I said, like, of course, because I am who I am. I said, sure, let's do this. And you're familiar with video aspect ratios, like mm -hmm. 69 or 3.4. This is like, it's, let's see, 15 inches by like 65 or 70 inches. Yeah, 15 by 70. So I had to really wrap my brain around not only the oblong, you know, this wacko aspect ratio, but then you have to understand that, okay, here's something that you're going to see from not only all angles, but inside out as well. Because you see the front and the back sometimes at the same time, if it's like curved, folded or twisted. So, boy, that was wacky. Yeah, so I did a scarf. Looked wonderful. Seemed like it really turned out it well. Fun. It looks really cool. Yeah. It's yeah. So who knows? You know, I can do more of those. Yeah, you never know. So you've you've got your branches everywhere. So right now, I guess with all the work you're doing, you talked about the Eric Andre show and other collaborations. Is there something that's keeping you inspired? I mean, is there? Are you listening to classical music? Like what? Ooh. What is keeping you inspired throughout your day to keep you going? Do you have very specific playlists that you put on or like what kind of music inspires you? If I need to be motivated, like in a physical way to work, I will listen to electronic music. If I want to just stop what I'm doing, I can listen to electronic music in any realm because it's, it, you know, it just powers me. It's just like a physical powering mechanism. Like classical music I have to sit down and listen to it. I can't have it on as background music because there's just too much going on. Um, and then similarly, anything with lyrics, can't. it just, it takes away my own thoughts because I'm listening to the lyrics. So I confine myself to instrumental music just for, to get the fire going. Are there any specific artists that you would recommend? I mean, obviously you're creating music and there's music in your, I guess, work. Oh man, there's so many. There's so much. I know. I'm hitting you with hard questions here, Kasumi. I guess for me, as you ponder, as Tunesmate, our goal that we're always trying to keep people thinking about is breaking out of that cycle. Oh, so yes. Yes. we're always trying to give people recommendations. And obviously now I've got a lot to, to look forward to based on our conversation and hopefully our audience does. But I think the thing that I always find fascinating is what inspires other artists to continually you know, create? So, Well, I think uh, good reading is important. That's how I get most of my inspiration, actually. You know, I'll read something and it just 
sparks something. I don't know what it is about reading, actually, whether it's something semi-abstract like James Joyce or mm-hmm. books about consciousness, uh, you know, the development of the brain, you know, that sort of book or man, just or stuff that infuriates me like politics. Oh, boy. I'm reading a book right now called How Fascism Works. Ugh. Yeah. It's sparking a lot. Uh, a lot of emotions, a lot of thoughts. Yes, yes. It's so. It's just we're in a weird time. Oh and, yeah. You know, I, because I did so many political before, and people say, "Oh, you're exaggerating." No, that you know, you're making it's too much, over the top. And then now it's like, ooh, there is no over the top. This is what's happening now is so over the top that. I don't even know if I could express that in a film. The silk screens I'm doing are sort of have that quality. It's like the point of complete breakdown is what I'm trying to express. But that's true. I have spoke to some other artists and during this time, it seems like there are some folks that are thriving. They're building a lot of, oh, totally. a totally. Lot of artwork and there are others that are still just wishing to get out there and perform. I guess from your perspective, it sounds like you're thriving, but when you're creating, are you an artist that you need to kind of lock yourself away and then things happen or are you more spontaneity? Something will hit you and you'll create something. Well, a little bit of both. Interesting. Um, I'll lock myself away and kind of mine everything that I can possibly get to and then have to kind of take a little, like a little 20 minute, break or do something, you know, take a walk or do something. And then a problem will be solved. You know, it's like, oh yeah, that's what I should do. I should go to that place now. But so far I haven't, you know, I just haven't run out of ideas. I I just keep, one thing always leads to another. It's always, what if I do this? What if I turn it upside down? What if I go off on this tangent? What if I, you know, always that's what it's about. It's uh, it's about improvising, which incidentally, I learned how to improvise doing 16th century music. It's the weirdest. It was, it's like, that was like the heyday of improvisation when you could take one tiny little phrase, like a, even a two note. All right. How do you get from this note to that note? How many ways can you get there? And that sort of you know, if you apply that in every other aspect of your life, you know, it works. That's some good advice because I know there's a lot of artists that are constantly trying to figure out how to keep going. And you're right. I mean, sometimes you just need to look at it from a different perspective and take a step back, yes. take a break and yep. things will hit you. I always went back to just something simple. I remember reading about this where I think the creator of DNA was staring at a fire and watched an ember go up and it sparked his mind. He said, hey. I read that. That's probably DNA strand. So it's even getting back to nature and just, you know, trying to take deep breaths and (laughs) and go through it. Yeah. Really good advice. This has been awesome catching up with you. I think there's a lot here to unpack in this conversation. If people wanted to explore more and find out more about Kasumi, where would they go? Well, you can go to my website, with, which is kasumifilms.com, or my Instagram, at kasumifilms, my Tumblr, which is kasuminews.com. But from my website, all the I have all the links on there, so you can 
check that out. Yeah, it's great. There's so much that you've done, and I know there's so much more that you've got planned. And it's been an honor just to catch up with you. Oh, awesome. Likewise. I'm so glad you called. This is awesome. Yeah, no, this is, I'm so glad we were able to connect because I feel like every time I talk with you, I'm inspired and there's more that I want to do. And I think there's just been so much that not only from the work that you've done digitally, but now moving into apps and wearables and everything else, it's great to see you being able to express yourself in so many ways. It's fun. Keeps me hey. busy. Keeps me busy. I neglect my living quarters, of course, but you know. of, of course. <laughs> well, it was fun catching up with you. Likewise. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you so much. Take care. Thanks. All right, everybody. Welcome back from the interview. Ray, that was fascinating to hear how she started working and building film and art and then stumbled into creating an app that's called Shufflehead that mm-hmm. basically allows you to create art. So it's a bunch of images and sketches that you can put a different head on, a different body, and then actually color it. And I know adult coloring books are a big thing nowadays. And actually to move that into an app and then allow you to put a beat to it as well and create this piece of art that you can post somewhere or send somewhere. It was really cool to see Kasumi move into the app world. Yeah, it's really fascinating stuff, that whole idea of how we then even think about the creation of art. So, you know, the the idea that an app that you have on a tablet, on a phone, whatever, on some device helps you create some kind of artistic expression. And and again, in a way that, that merges uh, various forms, right? So we're merging music and visual art at the same time. And it really, really speaks to a lot of the contemporary ability of uh, for people to just do this kind of thing. Yeah. And, you know, it takes a lot of effort to put something like that together. And I just thought it was amazing what she's been doing. And this is my cheesy segue into Tunesmate that we've actually been posting a lot about Ray, I know you keep doing the music to help us get through everything together. And it's been nonstop. There's been some great things that you've been posting. It's been keeping us energized. I've even been recently the Daily 80s flashback series. I'm finding songs recently that I was like, wait a minute. That was one of the songs? There was one recently. Tell me, it was like number 38. Was it um, Cock Robin? That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Cock Robin. Yep. I couldn't stop listening to that song, Ray. I never heard of that song in my life. And yeah. I listened to that song probably seven times in one day. Next day, maybe five. Wow. I even went back and started researching some of their songs that I guess were even lower hits, but they were still pretty powerful. You know, it's funny. We had a very similar experience with Cock Robin. Yeah, that the song I posted was When Your Heart Is Weak, which was their one hit barely squeaked into the top 40 back 35 years ago, back in 1985. And I didn't remember it either, but I loved it. And, you know, it's a style that I think is, tends to be, I don't know if I have a favorite style of music, but there's that style, there's that sort of adult contemporary-ish, sophistipop been called, stuff like that, right? Things like Johnny Hates Jazz or uh, Danny Wilson, right? Stuff like that, that I, I just love that kind of that feel of music. And and Cock Robin really like smacked into that feel. It, and so I had the same experience. I think we both <laughs> found one of the same video of one of their other songs that they had. Don't be surprised if someday that shows up as a daily 80s flashback. I think that the biggest 
thing, you know, because it's funny because then they didn't, you know, they didn't go anywhere else after that. I don't know if their name maybe held them up. I don't know that Cock Robin was really the best choice of a name to become, you know, a phenomenal success. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's funny. We had the same reaction. And that's, you know, that's one of the things about the daily 80s flashback. I'm, I've been doing that thing for more than six years. And, you know, there are plenty of songs on there that, that I know and I remember or, and there are plenty of songs on there that I, I don't remember. But then when I hear it again, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that now. And then there are songs that, you know, were in the eighties and, you know, I don't know everything from the eighties. And so I, I come across plenty of songs that charted or had some kind of success in one way or another, and I don't know them. And then you go on here and you're like, wow, that's really a great song. How did I miss that 35 years ago? I have no, I mean, there was another one where everyone knows George Thorogood and the Destroyers. I mean, yep. yeah, Add to the Bone. And I'm like, wait a minute. He did a cover of Nobody But Me? Mm-hmm. And I looking and I clicked around and I noticed that his highest charting single actually was another remake that he did. But yep. that's not the song that gets played. The songs that get played are... The ones you always hear on standard radio, you know, one bourbon, one scotch, one beer, and bad to the bone. What was the other one? Get a haircut. Yes. <laughs> one of his last songs they really got played back in the nineties. Right. His one charting single was, as you said, I mean, he did a lot of remakes, and his his one charting single was uh, Willie and the Hand Jive. And you're right. You know, this is this is that chance to and bad to the bone. Actually, you know, that's perhaps his his most played single, but it never charted. It was, you know, it was sort of had this following outside of pop music and that's it. That's the great thing about this. Another one that right before that I I posted, Tony Child's Don't Walk Away. That was one of those ones that it rang a bell. And then when I listened listened to it, I was like, oh yeah, I remember that back in the late eighties. And you know, the same thing in another one, even recently about a month ago, you know, people know Johnny Hates Jazz from Shattered Dreams, Uh but their second top 40 hit, I Don't Want to Be a Hero. And it's funny because I posted that one and I remember that song and I love that song. And shortly thereafter, I was listening to 80s on 8 on Sirius XM and they were doing their, their weekly top 40 countdown. And every week they do a different year from the 1980s and, you know, what the top 40 was on the Hot 100 chart that week. And they were playing, they were playing 1988. And Mark Goodman comes on and he talks about this song and he talks about exactly what I remember about the song, that this was an anti-war song. Here's this adult contemporary, you know, sophistipop song that's got this message of this guy who doesn't want to fight in a war he doesn't believe in. And plenty of people probably listened to it on the, the radio and didn't think one way or the other about it. You know, we know from the study of pop music that in a lot of ways, the words don't matter because people don't pay attention to them. They pay attention to the beat or the feel or whatever. And somewhat to the words, especially the hook, but you know, probably lots of folks just didn't even pay attention to it. But yeah, and it's great to relive these songs and think about them again for the first time in years. And it's been interesting because I recently started just posting, I was calling them working remotely. Mm-hmm. And same thing is like I started listening to these artists because they can't get out re-experiencing their catalog. And mm-hmm. one of the last ones I posted was john bon jovi where you know yeah looks like he's in his home studio but he started taking requests and he did a black eyed peace song and he did some other songs and he's just having fun with it and it just started making me think about how much i just love music how mm-hmm. how it you can be low and you can put music on and it just it goes back to everything that you've been doing with your music to help us get through everything together and how these artists are just playing live from their homes because they just 
love playing music and some of them are doing benefits or some of them are just making sure that they're keeping in contact with their bandmates recording these songs. And it's been really interesting to find and kind of unearth these I guess performances and post them. Yeah, that, I love the working remotely you've been doing because I think that really captures the feel of the contemporary time period, right? That this is how we do music and it's how we make music and and even sort of that, yeah, like John Bon Jovi was doing, you know, and he's sort of, you know, on the spot, what, you know, spontaneously putting together this other stuff, like you said, taking requests, you know, that's in a lot of ways what the joy of music is all about. It really even kind of gets back to some of the themes you you talked about with Kasumi, you know, the um, the ways in which we make art out of music and we combine art in different ways with music and, and even that app where, you know, people get to kind of make their own art through that. And that's exactly what the working remotely is able to, to show us that these artists that we know from various, various capacities, them kind of doing the same thing. Yeah. It all comes back. It all centers on really telling a story, sharing it with music, and then getting an audience, some interaction with them and creating some more energy. And I don't know, I just, everything about what, the messages that all these artists are sending out there, I really think it is making a difference. And I'm glad that we can share music and keep people going. I've been seeing a lot of folks out there retweeting and positively giving us, you know, likes on the things that we're doing. So if there's anything else, if you're out there and you would like us to post something or focus on something, please let us know. We're keep trying to, keep the energy going and we got some other things up our sleeve as we come up so i just wanted to remind everyone don't forget that you can subscribe to our podcast like our podcasts give us some ratings we also recently launched a store where you can purchase your own customized birthday t-shirt so make sure you check that out and what's funny about that ray is one of the highest traffic posts that still happens today on Tunesmate is our birthday post mm-hmm. and it's interesting how everyone wants to collect songs even through this pandemic you're still gonna have a birthday right <laughs> so why not treat yourself to uh Tunesmate? This is our promotional cheesy pitch here too. Check out our store and let us know what you think about that. So Ray, any closing thoughts, anything coming up in your cabinet, I guess, of music? (laughs) Well, I think uh, one of the things to look for, I do the daily 80s flashbacks and we're getting into with September, October, we're getting into the time period when TV shows debuted in the 1980s. A lot of times the, the new fall season would start. I did the Golden Girls for music to help us get through everything together, but I just did 227. I just did Solid Gold for the Daily 80s flashbacks. You'll be seeing a few more of those TV show themes coming up because we're coming up on 40th anniversaries, 35th anniversaries of a few shows. And so uh, that's one thing to look for. Yeah, those are fun. I, I was singing along on that 227 theme. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I forgot about that. There's no place like home, man. That's right. Oh, man. Well, Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We hope you had a great time listening in on this episode. And once again, I'm Mark. And I'm Ray. And we will see you next time.